Support for Swindled comes from Simply Safe. Summer is coming. Do you have any fun travel plans? I bet you do. And you're just going to leave your home unprotected like that. What's wrong with you? Invest in Simply Safe Home Security today for award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. Simply Safe's variety of indoor and outdoor cameras and sensors will protect every inch of your home by detecting break-ins, fires, floods, and more. I actually know a guy whose basement flooded while he was on vacation, and he didn't even know it until he returned almost a week later. Apparently that's where he stored his very valuable comic book collection, which was completely ruined. He was inconsolable, but I tried anyway, I said. I'm sorry, man, but this could have been avoided. If only you had a Simply Safe security system. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect Monitoring at simplysafe.com/swindled. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Support for Swindled comes from Claritin. It's that time of year again, when I can barely breathe out of my nose. Yep, seasonal allergies. I have it all. Itchy eyes, congestion, sneezing. Luckily, there's a path to relief. Time to live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that will relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. And it works fast. Claritin's non-drowsy relief starts working in as little as 30 minutes, so not only can you get on with your day sooner, but you can do so without compromise. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. This episode of Swindled may contain graphic descriptions or audio recordings of disturbing events which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The city says you have to go on the water, you have to go on the sewer. Tom was a mountain man. For people to tell him he has to do something is just on his head all the time. Thomas Dean Leesk was a mountain man who lived in the tiny mountain town of Alma, Colorado. In 1998, he was 50 years old, living in his grandmother's shack and driving a snowplow part-time. Tom was a loner. He was reclusive. And unbeknownst to his fellow townsfolk, Tom Leesk was becoming increasingly paranoid and bitter. Everyone in Alma already knew who he was. Tom was that odd fella, the former addict, always wearing that gun on his belt and playing his fiddle in front of the general store. Did he have long, stringy hair? Was he unshaven? Yeah, that's Tom alright. Mostly harmless. Just ixnay on any government talk. He has an opinion or two. That's because back in 1994, Alma's town officials had forced Tom Leesk onto the town's water system, which is not something that Tom Leesk wanted to do. Tom liked drinking from the spring near his cabin, and he wanted to keep using his outhouse. He could also not afford to pay the expensive tap fee the town demanded for the hookup. In the end, Tom Leesk had no choice. 
he lost that battle. The government had trampled over his God-given American rights. In Tom's mind, they had extorted him, and he stewed about it for three straight years. He even sold homemade audio tapes of his voice recordings espousing anti-government views. Tom Leesk detested bureaucracy. That much was clear. More specifically, Tom detested Willie Morrison, a well-liked local artist who enforced that tap switch during a brief tenure as the town's mayor. One day there would be revenge, Tom promised himself. One day, that piece of shit would get what he deserved. That one day was February 26, 1998. Tom Leesk had decided. That evening, he went out for a coffee and then rode his bike to the Alma Town Hall. Inside, a small Alcoholics Anonymous meeting was being conducted by the former mayor. Leesk rudely interrupted by bursting through the doors, carrying a bag of Molotov cocktails he had made at home. Tom Leesk announced that he was the new master of ceremonies and nudged his gun into Willie Morrison's back. Leesk demanded that Morrison read a passage from the AA handbook, which he did. Then Leesk quoted the Bible and pulled the trigger. Willie Morrison was dead. Thomas Dean Leesk was just getting started. First, he threw a couple of the Molotovs into the building. Luckily, the few AA meeting attendees had already fled. Leesk then hopped aboard the camouflaged front-end loader that the town had purchased from the military surplus. He proceeded to bulldoze the town hall. He also punched holes in the town's school building, the post office, the fire department, and the water treatment plant. Thousands of gallons of water poured into the streets and froze. The phone lines went down. There was partial electricity. He basically wiped out the government here, a Park County Sheriff Sergeant later told Colorado Central Magazine. It only took a couple of hours. That night, Thomas Gleesk drove the front-end loader back to his property and set fire to his grandmother's house before fleeing into a nearby grove. He took with him a rifle and a 45 caliber pistol. His face was painted for war. But there would be no confrontation. When the cops arrived, a sympathetic neighbor called out their positions, but there was no escape. Tom Leesk was surrounded. He surrendered four and a half hours into his rampage, and he was completely at peace. Leesk told the deputies that he had accomplished what God had asked him to do, that he had sacrificed his life to bring attention to the state's water diversion projects and the theft of Native American lands. Leesk was adamant about his guilt. During the interviews, the sheriff's department said Tom Leesk seemed, quote, alert, very astute, intelligent. He gave specific answers. He was fully aware of what he had done. He had no regrets. I don't want no lawyers, no trial, no nothing, Leesk reportedly said. Just put me in the thing and push the button. Again, big government would get in his way. Thomas Leesk was appointed a public defender and forced to undergo multiple psychiatric evaluations even though it was never Leesk's intention to plead insanity. I don't want that, he told a reporter. I'm not insane. The results of the evaluations were conflicting, so the proceedings continued. Thomas Leesk was tired of waiting. In March 1998, he stabbed himself in the chest with a plastic toothbrush that he'd sharpened against the prison wall. The suicide attempt was unsuccessful. Leesk suffered only superficial wounds. Finally, two years after Tom Leesk's spree of murder and destruction, the court allowed him to plead guilty to 13 charges, including first-degree murder, first-degree arson, and criminal mischief. 
In June 2000, Tom Leesk was sentenced to life in prison, plus 27 years. I would have liked to have heard an apology, Willie Morrison's brother Andrew told the Denver Post. When he didn't, I gave him the finger, and he saw me. It may have been a childish move, but at least I got to say something to him. This is like any other place in the mountains. People come up here to get away from government. Most agree that Thomas Leesk's violent statement was not a reasonable reaction, but the sentiment wasn't completely out of the ordinary for the area. Many have wondered if the mountains attract those types of people, or are they shaped there? Such rugged individualists do not like to be told what to do. Certainly, Thomas Dean Leesk could be characterized as such. A simple water source dispute turned deadly, but what else is someone so persecuted supposed to do? especially with God blessing their every move. Marvin John Hemeyer was a similar self-described reasonable man, but a decade-long battle with the small-town government pushed him to the brink of madness and beyond. Out of options, Marv thought it best to tear it all down to level the playing field. His conversations with God only provided further justification. Or maybe Marvin Hemeyer was just looking for an excuse. A skilled welder modifies a bulldozer into an unstoppable machine of destruction to exact revenge upon a community he felt was conspiring against him on this episode of Swindled. They bribed government officials, clear violations of federal and state law, paid of millions of taxpayer dollars that were wasted, paid tens of millions of dollars and a billion dollars. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hello, my name is Marvin Hemeyer. Today is, uh, let's see here, April 13, 2004. I am making this tape. I thought I should make it a year ago, made part of it, didn't like it. Really didn't think it'd make any difference if I did make it, but a good friend of mine said I should make it. He said I should sit down in front of a videotape machine and do it, but you're just going to have to take my word that this is Marv Hemeyer, serial number 503-689-471, and uh, I'm living in Grand Lake, Colorado. And this tape is about my life since I came up here to Grand Lake in 1991. Marvin John Hemeyer fell in love with Colorado when stationed at the Lowry Air Force Base in the early 70s. 
He was enamored with the mountains, the freedom, the fresh air. Marv knew that it was where he was supposed to be. After receiving an honorable discharge from the military, the native South Dakotan made his way back to the Centennial State for what was supposed to be a six-month vacation. Instead, Marv ended up purchasing a piece of property and found work repairing car mufflers in Denver. His skill was unmatched, reportedly. A legendary welder. Marv could change a muffler by himself in 20 minutes, his friend Pete Mitchell told the Associated Press. That skill served him well. Throughout the 1980s, Marvin Hemeyer expanded his enterprise and opened his own muffler shop in Boulder. He also bought and sold and leased property in the greater Denver area. Despite losing tens of thousands of dollars on a couple of bad real estate deals, Mr. Hemeyer had done quite well for himself in a brief period of time, but not without learning some tough lessons. Everybody is looking out for themselves. When it comes to money, you can't trust anyone but yourself. In 1991, Marvin Hemeyer isolated himself. He leased out his remaining muffler shop in the city and purchased 27 acres in a cabin in Grand Lake, Colorado, the so-called snowmobiling capital of the world. Coincidentally, Marv Hemeyer loved a snowmobile. He loved the mechanics. He was always tinkering, making things bigger, stronger, faster. It's what Marvin Hemeyer was born to do, and now he was in the perfect place to do it the gateway to the Rocky Mountains. No wife, no kids, no obligations. Just 40-year-old Marv and his books, his tools, a hot tub, and a snowmobile. Like, but getting back to me, I, on the other hand, I have had a perfect life up until 1999 when I found out what the Thompsons had done to me in 92. In 92... Marvin Hemeyer found an opportunity to open a muffler shop close to his new home. Up for auction was a two-acre piece of foreclosed land with a 3,000-square-foot building in the nearby town of Granby. Marv Hemeyer placed a bid. So finally they caught my bid, so I got I had a bid for 40 and this other guy, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I didn't know who he was. He jumped up on his chair. That's how I knew where he was. And I was looking back, and of course he bid 45000 and of course, I bid fifty thousand, and was waiting for him to bid, and he wouldn't bid. Uh, and uh, so I got the property for fifty thousand dollars. <coughs> and uh, this guy, uh, come to find out, his name was Cody Dochev. He came back there and introduced himself to me about it, about the rudest, most arrogant person. I mean, this guy's just a fucking asshole. Come back and just introduced himself, kind of by just giving me a tongue lashing for about 10 minutes about, you know, who I thought I was and what I was going to do with the property. Cody Dochev owned Mountain Park Concrete, headquartered next door to the piece of land that Marv Hemeyer had just bought. According to Sky High News, the Dochefs used to own that lot too, but lost it to the bank after previous business plans for the area fell through, and now it seemed the Dochefs had lost the plot of land again. Their plans to build a batch plant on that site were ruined by this outsider. Cody Dochev was not happy about it, according to Marv. He claims the short-tempered and short-statured owner of the concrete company confronted him over the purchase. But Marv didn't feel bad. If Cody Dochev wanted to win the auction, he should have brought more money. Simple as that. 
I mean, 160 people, or 160 properties were sold that day, and this is the only fool that didn't come down there with enough money to buy his property. I mean, this shows you how day late and a dollar short this fool is. Marv Heemeyer tried not to take it personally. It was just business, and he knew that Cody Dochev had a flair for the dramatic. Marv had heard that Cody faked his suicide after he went bankrupt by jumping off a windmill. Marv wasn't falling for the act. Cody Dochev, on the other hand, has denied that the confrontation with Marvin Heemeyer ever occurred. Also, Gus Harris, who was at the auction with Cody, confirmed they'd never talked to the man, not even a hello. Perhaps Marv Heemeyer is an unreliable narrator. In his version of the story, Marv never mentioned that years after the auction, he agreed to sell that same lot of land to the Dochefs for $250,000. When the family accepted the offer, according to the Dochefs, Heemeyer promptly changed his mind and raised the price to three hundred and seventy-five dollars The Dochefs couldn't afford to pay that much, so they offered a trade of land instead. Marv agreed, but only if they built him a new building upon it for a total value of more than $1 million. I just think he sets things up to the point where you have to say no, Susie Dochev, Cody's wife, later told Sky High News. He probably sets you up to say no just so he could get mad at you. The Dochev family didn't get mad. They just changed their plans. Instead of dealing with Marv Heemeyer and his unreasonable costs and requests, the Dochevs eventually purchased the land adjacent to Heemeyer's shop. And in 1999, they propositioned the town of Granby to rezone the area to industrial from residential and light commercial. The Dochefs would build the Mountain Park concrete batch plant next to Marv's muffler shop if the town agreed. Marv Heemeyer did not like this idea at all. First of all, he alleged the dust and noise generated by the plant would be unhealthy and unbearable for anyone living or working nearby. Second, the plant would block access to Marv's business. People driving by would not even be able to see his shop from the road. The concrete plant would destroy his livelihood, Marv argued. The hardened libertarian and outspoken free market capitalist was aghast that someone would inconvenience him to make a buck. He rallied neighbors, organized a petition, and spoke out in opposition at the Granby Planning Commission's public hearings. Marv Heemeyer fought the rezoning every step of the way. Can I also get a copy of that resolution? And he lost. In 2001, Granby's Planning Commission approved the Dochef's rezoning request, but Marv Heemeyer wouldn't give up that easily. The muffler man sued the town of Granby, the Dochefs, and the town's board of trustees for improperly approving the concrete plant. Most of Marv's arguments were based on legal minutia. For instance, he claimed that the lack of a mayor's signature on the rezoning plans invalidated the entire project. That's what he was pinning his hopes on. And to make things more interesting, as the ever-expensive lawsuit progressed, Marv Heemeyer was involved in a different battle. Back in 92... Just after Marv bought the land at auction, the town of Granby requested that he hook up his new property to the town's sewer and water line and that he pay for it out of pocket. Unfortunately, the new pipes were 60 feet away from Marv's property. To build a line from his place to the town's pipes would cost $85,000. So naturally, Marv Heemeyer refused. However, there was one other way Marv could have connected to the town's sanitation district. It was a far more affordable option, too. Marv just needed permission from his neighbors, the Dochefs, 
to build an easement under part of their property. The Dochefs told Marv Hemeyer that they would allow it if he dropped a lawsuit. Again, Marv Hemeyer refused. Instead, Marv decided to pay the fines for every day that his property was not connected. He wrote a check for $3,351 to the town of Granby. On the check's memo line, he addressed it to the Cowards and Liars Department. To add insult to injury, in April 2002, Marvin Hemeyer's lawsuit against the town of Granby et al. was dismissed. Judge Richard Doucette ruled that Granby's Board of Trustees had not acted improperly during the concrete plant approval process. Marv Hemeyer loses again. He also lost tens of thousands of dollars pursuing the matter. Marv claims his lawyer milked him for everything it was worth but refused to appeal. Marv claims his lawyer told him that he did not want to upset the judge. That same judge, according to Marv, had fought against the Dochef's concrete plant when it was proposed to be built in his backyard. Judge Doucette's ruling ensured that the Dochefs would build the plant somewhere else. After that, it wouldn't be his problem anymore. This whole thing had been a setup from the beginning, Marv thought. It was one big, good old boys club, and he wasn't in it. He should have known. It had taken embarrassingly too long to realize. It all started back in 92, when Mayor Dick Thompson refused to let him connect to the town's sewer line. Hemeyer harbored hate for that family ever since. In fact, after Dick Thompson died, Marv asked one of the Thompson sons to compensate him $300,000 of the inheritance. That's the amount Marv estimated Dick Thompson's decision had cost him over the years. And he basically confirmed in my mind, right there, that he knew what I was talking about. And he knew what had been done. Because he had one thing to say. He screamed it at me as I'm about five truck lengths away. He screamed, you can suck my dick! That's all the confirmation Marv Hemeyer needed. This whole thing was an elaborate scheme against him. Just because the Granby Town elite were pissed off that he bought that plot of land all those years ago, Marv Hemeyer felt that he had done everything he could to accommodate their demands. He even drove to California to buy a bulldozer to build his own road. After all these years, Marv Hemeyer couldn't let it go. He couldn't let it go because they never let it go. The Board of Commissioners, the Dochefs, the Thompsons, they were all corrupt, Marv had decided. It seemed like everyone in town was intent on screwing him over. And guess what? They did. They won. The concrete plant was being built. So congratulations, everybody. Marvin Hemeyer was defeated in the end. They think that I should have to stay down there in Granby. I should have kept my muffler shop going. I should have put up with all the dust, all the, the snickers. Uh, you know, the, the, the town council, I'd pass them in the post office, and they'd snicker at me after they knew I lost. In 2003, Marv Hemeyer suddenly closed his muffler business in Granby and organized an auction of his own. Everything must go. The jet skis, the land, the bulldozer, the backhoe. If the people of Granby really wanted to rid themselves of Marvin Hemeyer, here was their chance. Everything sold. Everything except the land and the bulldozer. I, if they would have bought it at that auction for 450000 I would have walked away. But there wasn't one bid. 
It was a sign from God, Marv decided. A sign that maybe he shouldn't just walk away from this. Maybe he should stick it out in Granby just a little while longer to get even for what had been lost. Maybe he should give the town of Granby and everyone in it a taste of their own medicine for once. There used to be a time when I could withstand these types of losses. I could never afford them. You can never afford to lose money. You can withstand it and you can recover sometimes. Most of the time I looked at it that way, it was because I was young and I, I was strong and, and I could go out and physically do the work. I'm 52 now. I can't do it. I can't withstand it. I can't recover. We're talking about losing $300,000, which along with the sale of the property would have been my retirement, would have let me go on to do other things, to make more wealth. But when you take 10 years of my life away and just piss it down the drain and are are happy about it and ecstatic about it, no. I've taken all I can take. How I react, yes, it's a reaction. That's how it's supposed to be. That's how God built me. You know? It is not my fault. What did that one guy say? Those who made me your enemies, or enemy, those who made me your enemy, they are the guilty ones. The Thompsons are guilty. The Dochefs are guilty. The Granby Town Board is guilty. The Granby Planning Commission is guilty. My neighbors are guilty. It took all of you ten years to get me. And you got me, no doubt about it. I got screwed big time. We talked today about it to Dave Patner. He knows I got fucked. And he knows that they do it. And they get away with it. There's nothing you can do about it, he says. Well, I'm going to do something about it. It may only change people for a generation. Maybe two. May not change them at all. Maybe make them worse. That's the way it's supposed to be. And that's the way it will be. God's will be done. Through me. Support for Swindled comes from Simply Safe. When you travel, do concerns back home nag you? You know, did you lock up? Did you leave a window open? Did you forget a child? Things like that. I know I do. That's why I recommend investing in Simply Safe Home Security today for award winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. Here's a true story that happened to me last week. I was out of town in an unfamiliar city, in an unfamiliar room. It was midnight and I was about to fall asleep when I get an alert on my phone. Simply Safe glass break sensor triggered. Not good. So I log in to view my cameras and I see a massive hailstorm pounding my house in real time. Long story short, I sent a friend over to take care of it. His night was ruined. I slept like a baby. Thank you, Simply Safe. 
Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/swindled. There's no safe like Simply Safe. I mean, I wept at times trying to understand why this was happening to me. And to do what I had to do to make these people listen, to learn, was just above me. And when I realized that one day when I was sitting in the hot tub, and I mean, I was, I was weeping, a peace came over me that has only come over me a few times before in my life where I knew that what I was doing was tough but it was the right thing. In the summer of 2003, Marvin Heemeyer had an epiphany while sitting in the hot tub at his home in Grand Lake, 16 miles north of Granby. Suddenly everything made sense. The reason he hadn't ever gotten married, the reason he never had kids, The reason his father had recently died. The reason his girlfriend left him. The reason he found himself alone again. Why did Marv Heemeyer spend his life acquiring and honing these mechanical skills? How come no one bought the bulldozer or the land where it sat? Why had that Komatsu D-335A dozer fit so perfectly into his building? To Marv, these weren't insignificant coincidences. It fit through that door so tight, you almost had to grease it to get it in there. Why did that particular dozer fit in the building? Why had I not bought one of the D9s at that Fresno auction? Uh, it doesn't make any sense, you know? A D9's got more horsepower. It's probably more dependable than a Komatsu. <laughs> if I'd have bought one of them, I'd have never got it in that building because they, they were much taller than the Komatsu was. So, so I'm thinking, well, this is good. I get it inside, now I can build it. Must be what I'm supposed to do. What Marvin Heemeyer was supposed to do, he concluded, was modify his Komatsu bulldozer into an 85-ton killing machine and then use that machine to repay everyone in Granby that had done him wrong. I was always willing to be reasonable until I had to be unreasonable. Heemeyer wrote in a note, Sometimes reasonable men must do unreasonable things. The Thompsons, the Dochefs, everyone who sat on the Granby planning board, the Catholic Church, they were all on Marv Heemeyer's handwritten list of targets. So was Patrick Brower, the editor and publisher at the local paper, the Sky High News. Marv Heemeyer thought Mr. Brower was a big, liberal, pothead army brat who had everything in life handed to him. Ever since they disagreed about the legalized gambling proposition in the early 90s, Emeyer felt Brower had it out for him. The Sky High News had covered the Granby rezoning issue and Emeyer's opposition to the concrete plant in thorough detail. Of course, Marv blamed a wider conspiracy for why the newspaper treated his position so unfavorably. But none of that mattered anymore. There was no time left for reflection or reconciliation. God wanted this to be done so it would be done. Marvin Heemeyer was merely a vessel for his will. I think God will bless me to get the machine done, to drive it, 
to do the stuff that I have to do up to a point, and then the machine will do one of two or three times. You're either going to blow me right off the fucking streets, I'm going to have a heart attack and die because I'm all pumped up. The machine's going to break. Or maybe, maybe it'll go all day and I'll run out of fuel. I don't know. I got a lot of fuel in that thing, let me tell you. For the next year and a half, Marv essentially lived in this shop. He set up a cot, a television, an air conditioner, a refrigerator, and a stove. He left his truck in Omaha and rented a van so the neighbors wouldn't recognize his comings and goings. He slept during the day and worked through the night. No one had a clue. Marv used a homemade lift to elevate and weld together sheets of half-inch thick reinforced steel. Homemade concrete was sandwiched between those plates to create an impenetrable suit of armor. All the vital mechanisms of the bulldozer were protected. Marv Hemeyer made sure that nothing short of a missile would be able to stop his homemade tank. Hemeyer also gutted the inside of the dozer to install storage compartments, fans to keep him cool, and a wooden desk that served as a control center. Mounted to the desk were a set of video monitors that were connected to four cameras attached to the outside. Hemeyer planned to use the video feed for visibility, since all the windows and doors would be covered with steel. The cameras were protected by three-inch shields of bulletproof polycarbonate. They were also outfitted with compressed air nozzles to blow away any dust, debris, or blood that might obstruct the operator's view. The final touches of Marv Hemeyer's MK tank, as he called it, included three gun ports that housed three rifles, one for the front, one for the back, and one on the right side. The guns would be used to shoot anything that tried to stop his progress. It was a shame it had come to this, because it's not what Marvin Hemeyer wanted to do. It's just what he had to do. It's what they had been doing to him for years. All the lies, the secrecy. You never truly know what's going on behind closed doors. Two can play that game. People ask me, what am I doing? Oh, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I spent the whole summer of 2003 in that friggin' building. Uh, lived there without a shower for as much as four, four days at a time working on that dozer getting it prepared to do what I have to do. If Marvin Hemeyer got caught building the dozer, he would have accepted it. Things only happen if they are supposed to happen, Marv believed. In fact, when he sold his shop and the land in November 2003, Marv's plan was nearly discovered. The new owners and their insurance agent toured the facility but didn't notice the massive armor-plated bulldozer hidden behind a tarp. The fact that he wasn't caught only made Marv more steadfast in his plans. This was supposed to happen. All systems go. All signs pointed to the same road. Main Street, USA. Granby, Colorado. I said, I, I couldn't believe it when they walked out the door. <laughs> I'm safe. How come they didn't catch me? It was right there under their nose. Well, I wasn't supposed to get caught. Not yet. Maybe I will. <laughs> Maybe this whole thing will come to stop early. That's the way it's supposed to be. I will accept that. They took away my life. They took away my future. They took away my hope. They took away any desires that I had. I cannot operate in a community of people 
that that does that to their neighbors. I wasted 13 years of my life down there because the Thompsons were pissed off that I bought that property. You put yourself in my shoes and tell me how you would feel at 50 years old realizing that you've wasted 10 years of your life because of someone's malice because of their jealousy, because of their greed, because of their hate. Marvin Hemeyer kept notes of his progress and astonishment that all the figurative planets had aligned to make it possible. After roughly 18 months, he completed the build. On April 13, 2004, Marvin Hemeyer spent hours speaking his manifesto into a tape recorder. Less than 60 days later, the deed would be done. I am the co-captain of my life. God is first, I am second, okay? This is where he's taken me. This is where you have tried to control my life. You have tried to be the captain of my life. You do not run my life. You do not determine my income. You do not determine what I desire, what I want, what I deserve. I determine that, and my God determines that. Not you people. No people do that. If they do, then you're a slave to them. I am not a slave to man. I am a slave to God. And I am a slave to what God tells me I should have. And that's why we are where we are. Let's stop here. Well, anyway, this is tape. This is tape three. It's about ten oh five on uh, the thirteenth of April two thousand and four. Uh, I want to say that I believe that I am a, an American patriot. I believe in the free enterprise system. I believe in a level playing field of competition. Um, if you want to change that level playing field of competition to your advantage basically you give me license to do that also when my opportunity comes around you have given me license through your example to do what I need to do that at that when I do this that levels the playing field in my favor so now we've got a lopsided playing field because when I come back at you, I'm going to destroy your side of the playing field. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to take you on by myself. It's the only way I know how to do it. I'll be dead when it's over, but that's my conviction. And for the people that are out there that hear this, that can stand listening to it. Please pray for me. Pray for my soul. I believe that that I'm doing the right thing. I know 
I shouldn't have given you the benefit of the doubt. I should have learned that people are ultimately corrupt. I didn't, I guess. I, I'm going to have to die with it. Because I'm telling you, I will not live with it. Anyway, hey, I hope you all have a great time, a good life. I've had a great life. And uh, it's Saturday morning, uh, 22nd of May, 2004. And I'm going to put this tape and tape recorder in a plastic bag and somebody else can try to figure it out. We'll see you later. On the wet and gray morning of Friday, June 4th, 2003, Marvin Hemeyer stuffed his audio manifesto cassette tape collection into an envelope and mailed it to his brother back in South Dakota. Then he returned to his shop and climbed aboard the bulldozer. Once inside, Marv used the homemade lift to lower the carefully crafted armored shell. There was no way out. There was no way in. Regardless of what happened next, the killdozer would serve as Marvin Hemeyer's tomb. You know, the ignition didn't always work properly. What if the dozer failed to start? There Marv would be, stuck in the shop, unable to move, starved to death in a matter of weeks. They'd probably find him eventually, Marv reckoned. They would force their way in somehow, and there he would be, surrounded by the empty cans of Slimfast he had packed for the trip, sitting in his own feces. Could this be Marvin Hemeyer's destiny? He turned the key to find out. He knew it. This was supposed to happen. A little after 3 p.m., Marvin Hemeyer crashed his bulldozer through the east side of the shop where he had modified it and headed straight towards his neighbor's property, Mountain Park's Concrete. Marv rammed the administrative building repeatedly until the roof collapsed in on itself. Not a second thought was given as to who was inside. The company's owner, Cody Docheff, reportedly fought back courageously. He got behind the wheel of a front-end loader and tried to block Marv's path. But Docheff's machine was no match for Hemeyer's tank, and when Marv started shooting at him through the portholes, Cody aborted mission and watched his business get systematically torn apart. Hemeyer had moved on to the Mountain Park's concrete batch plant about 200 yards away when Grand County Sheriff's deputies arrived at the scene. They opened fire on the dozer with high-powered rifles. The attack was completely ineffective. This is a tape. Of, this is when we first arrived on scene, and it looked like uh, officers standing on a hill above this uh, earth mover turned tank were firing some pretty heavy arms at him, trying to find a weak spot, trying to find some way to uh, immobilize. The ricocheting bullets did grab Marv Hemeyer's attention, though. He pointed the killdozer at a concrete barrier where the state troopers shooting at him had taken cover. Luckily, those troopers were able to escape before Hemeyer plowed through it. Marv Hemeyer crashed through another concrete barrier en route to Highway 40, and he crushed several police vehicles on his way out for good measure. Bravely, Grand County Undersheriff Glenn Trainer climbed the 13-foot-tall dozer as it trudged through a grocery store parking lot. 
He might have preemptively covered the armor in grease to prevent something like this from happening, but it didn't work. Trainer clung to the top of the tank as it slowly made its way towards downtown Granby. Atop the tank, Glenn Trainer desperately searched for a way to stop the machine. He emptied rounds into every piece of exterior equipment that looked important. He also dropped a flashbang grenade in the dozer's exhaust pipe. Nothing happened. The kill dozer continued on its way. As many as 40 law enforcement officers arrived at the scene. Some walked alongside the tank, others drove behind it. Media outlets were set up across the street and in the sky to get a shot of the destructive parade. But yeah, I can see it now. You know what? It looks like a locomotive. He's got so much stuff on it. He's got a stack on the front for the exhaust to come out. He's got gun turrets. He's even got the tracks covered up. I mean, this guy, like I said, he, somebody spent months and months and months to make this vehicle to do exactly what he's doing. It was one of the most high-tech things I've ever seen. I wasn't expecting to see pretty much a tank driving down the streets of Granby. When Marv Hemeyer reached Granby Town Hall, which housed the Granby Town Library, he did not know that a children's program was in progress behind those walls, nor did he care. Hemeyer tore into the west side of the building and worked his way around the back, destroying everything he touched, including a playground. At this point, Undersheriff Trainer had abandoned his position atop the dozer. The debris falling from Hemeyer's carnage proved too dangerous. The machine was unstoppable. The county sent out a reverse 911 call to all residents in the area with orders to evacuate. After completely destroying the town hall, Marv Hemeyer returned to the highway with cinder blocks and rubble decorating his dozer's roof. He made a beeline for the Mountain Park's electric building where two former town board members worked. Marv drove the bulldozer through the main entrance, just to say hello. Hemeyer proceeded to Agate Avenue, Granby's main street, with slight detours to demolish a builder's office, a bank, and multiple automobiles along the way. The police tried using armor-piercing ammunition to disable the machine. No luck. Next, Hemeyer tore through the sky-high news building. Editor Patrick Brower and a colleague Harry Williamson were still inside. Fortunately, the two men were able to exit in time through the back door. They watched from afar as Marvin Hemeyer, who had not yet been publicly identified, maneuvered the giant dozer in and out of the newsroom. There wasn't much left of it when he was done. 303 Thurston, would you call 887-110? That's the Thompson residence. We think the vehicle is the uh, bulldozers headed there. We need to have everybody evacuated out of the Thompson's residence. Hemeyer's next stop was Thompson and Sons Excavating, the family business of former Granby Mayor Dick Thompson. Next door to their shop was the family residence where Dick's 82-year-old widow still lived. Marvin Hemeyer bulldozed everything they owned. To this moment, can you give us an idea of, of uh, the damage that this man has caused so far in the Yeah, town? it looks like he drove through the cement plant, drove through a concrete form plant, completely wiped out town hall, and then took out the newspaper office. And now he's attacking XL Energy's gas um, office. 
Marv then turned his attention to the XO Energy headquarters nearby while he reorganized the exterior of that building. The emergency response team positioned an industrial scraper in front of Marv's only exit to try to block him in. Marvin Hemeyer's monster pushed the piece of equipment aside easily. Go ahead. Yeah, we got a scraper at the county shops and I got one down here if you want to try to box him in. Next, the Grand Lake Fire Chief sprayed propane into the Killdozer's air intake. The hope was that the engine would overheat and blow up, but there was no reaction at all. Marvin Hemeyer then traveled down a dirt service road and descended a hill to position himself in front of the propane tanks at the independent gas facility. He aimed his 50 caliber rifle through the porthole and pulled the trigger, but missed every shot he took. 1064 Grand County Carters, you need to evacuate at least a thousand feet back from independent propane tanks. Time's 16:13. Hemeyer changed plans and directions and headed back into town but with a noticeable limp. Black smoke was now billowing out of the Killdozer's exhaust pipe. It was a welcome sight for the local law enforcement agencies who had just tried to request assistance from the American military. Hey, if you're just joining us, it's now 5 o'clock. This is News 4 at 5. This story's been developing since about 3 o'clock. This is file tape of a man who's got into some a bulldozer that he's made into a makeshift armored covered bulldozer and he's damaged or destroyed half a dozen buildings in Granby, a town of about 1,500, about 50 miles west of Denver in Grand County. So far we're hearing no one's been injured but that has not been confirmed. The next target on Marvin Hemeyer's list was the Gamble's Hardware Store. The owner of the store sat on the Granby Town Board. Marvin Hemeyer wasn't a fan. So he crushed into the west side of the Gamble's building, leaving a trail of hydraulic fluid and antifreeze behind. What Marv Hemeyer didn't realize was that the Gamble store had a basement in which the Killdozer's treads were now stuck. Then the engine failed, trying to power it out. After two hours and 17 minutes, the rampage was over. Marvin Hemeyer reached for his gun and shot himself through the roof of his mouth. The authorities surrounding the dozer heard the muffled pop but didn't want to get too close. Anybody who could pull off this kind of stunt was certainly capable of a booby-trapped encore. They needed to take precautions. After hours of waiting, around 10.40pm that night, a SWAT team attached explosive charges to one of the dozer's tracks. The goal was to make it a mobile, just in case the man inside was still alive. Fifteen minutes later, another explosive was detonated against the left side of the bulldozer, but it was unable to penetrate the armor. An hour later, they tried again with no success. Then finally, at 2 a.m., authorities breached the cabin using a cutting torch. They found Marvin Hemeyer dead inside. He was wearing a button-up Hawaiian shirt. From Colorado's news leader, this is 9 News Saturday Morning. Officials in Grand County say the man who was behind the wheel in a bulldozer rampage is dead. 
sheriff in Granby says that Marvin Hemeyer was behind the wheel during a 90-minute rampage in that fortified bulldozer. In the cabin with Hemeyer, police found a back brace, a box of band-aids, and two plastic jugs of water. There were also paper towels, a pair of pliers, a gas mask, unopened cans of milk chocolate slim fast, and a gun on the floor. A crane was used to remove Marvin Hemeyer's body out of his creation at 10.30 a.m. that morning. Later that afternoon, the killdozer was loaded onto a trailer and hauled away. There was a traffic jam of cars trying to get a glimpse. The machine was eventually dismantled at the Grand County Road and Bridge facility in Fraser, Colorado. Granby officials wanted to avoid making it a tourist attraction or have parts of it circulated as souvenirs. Almost immediately, defenders of Marv Hemeyer had come out of the woodwork. Zero people were killed in the incident, which some pointed to as an example of Marvin Hemeyer's good intentions. Ian Daughtry, a bakery owner in Granby, said that Hemeyer, quote, went out of his way not to harm anyone. He was just trying to teach the town a lesson, and many agreed with his sentiment. But those in Marv Hemeyer's path of destruction knew there was no mercy in his acts. Hemeyer fired bullets at police officers, at Cody Docheff, at propane tanks in hopes that they would explode. He demolished houses and buildings without warning. Marvin Hemeyer certainly tried to kill people. He had just failed to do so. But in total, 13 buildings had been destroyed. $7 million in estimated damages. Property owners chose their words carefully when describing the attack in public. It was a criminal act, they said, not terrorism. Otherwise, insurance wouldn't cover the repairs. Other businesses discovered that they were underinsured. A few people were now unemployed. But the town of Granby came together to help out. A community relief fund generated more than $200,000 from selling t-shirts with the crossed-out illustration of the killdozer and from selling calendars featuring local women in the nude. The state of Colorado also contributed $600,000 to rebuild the town hall and library. The town's going to come back better and stronger than it was before Hemeyer took his drive, said Granby Mayor Ed Wing. That's going to be the sweetest revenge of all. By the summer of 2006, the town of Granby had rebuilt almost everything destroyed in the rampage. However, the Gamble's hardware store did not return to its original location until 2017. Casey Farrell, the owner of the store, said Marvin Hemeyer changed the town forever. People are not as trusting, he told the Boston Globe. It tended to harden people. It has also inspired people. Marvin Hemeyer's memory is kept alive by far-right groups who have deemed him a martyr. To them, Hemeyer is the prime example of a man who stood up for his rights. A true American patriot. Goatee and all. You can buy t-shirts with Marv Hemeyer quotes on them. You can join a dozen different Facebook fan club groups. The spirit of Marvin Hemeyer is alive and well in the United States of America. Who knows? One day it might even arrive at your front door. It still looks like a tornado tore through Swiegel's Port Angeles neighborhood. Houses ripped from their foundation, a truck crushed, debris everywhere. Police say Swiegel aimed his bulldozer at the house of a neighbor while she was still inside, angry over a property line dispute. Swindled is written, researched, produced, and hosted by me, a concerned citizen. 
with original music by Trevor Howard, aka The Former, aka Hot Tub Epiphany. For more information about Swindled, you can visit swindledpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Swindled Podcast. Or you can send us a postcard at P.O. Box 6044, Austin, Texas 78762. But please, no packages. We do not trust you. Swindled is a completely independent production, which means no network, no investors, no bosses, no shadowy money men, no slim fast. And we plan to keep it that way. But we need your support. Become a valued listener at patreon.com swindled or on Apple Podcasts. For as little as five bucks a month, you will receive early access to new episodes and exclusive access to bonus episodes that you can't find anywhere else. And everything is 100% commercial free. Become a valued listener on patreon.com swindled or on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want to support the show and need something to wear while riding your snowmobile, consider buying something you don't need at swindledpodcast.com shop. There are t-shirts, patches, hats, hoodies, posters, coffee mugs, and more swindledpodcast.com slash shop and remember to use coupon code capitalism to receive 10% off your order if you don't want anything in return for your support you can always simply donate using the form on the homepage. don't forget to check out swindledvideo.com that's it thanks for listening my name is Raina from British Columbia Canada my name is Stephanie Amandares from Houston, Texas. My name is Perry James from Charlotte, North Carolina, and, and I am a concerned citizen and a valued citizen. Oh my gosh, I messed it up. Well, I guess I'm just gonna have this one on there. But I'm a concerned citizen and a valued listener. Thanks to Simply Safe for sponsoring the show. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/swindled. There's no safe like Simply Safe.